Good morning, everyone. That was, that was just a test. Now we'll do the real one. Good morning, everyone. That's such a great sound. Welcome to our service, and um, especially if you're visiting with us, we'd like to welcome you. This is your first time with us, or maybe your first time in a long time. Would you raise your hand so Pastor Kevin can see you? And he'll give you a packet of information about the church. There's a card in there we'd like you to fill out. And then put it in the offering plate later on. So raise your hand. He'll find you. Not sure what he was doing, but we'll talk about that later, Derek, whatever it was. If you haven't passed the friendship pad in your row, if you would do so now. And uh, make sure you note the name so that you can greet each other by name afterwards. Also, we encourage everyone to attend Bible school afterwards. If you're not sure where to go, we have some very nice people who are to my left, just out the center door, and turn left there, and you will find them, and they'll tell you all about the classes. They'll even take you there and show you where, where to go for the Bible school classes. Several announcements right now. The summer schedule of services will continue next Sunday throughout all the Sunday mornings in July and August. We'll be having one combined worship service, just as we are now, at 9 a.m., and then Bible school at 10.30 a.m. We have an updated church directory, <clears throat> so if you would like to have one, they're available on the table in the narthex. We only ask that you take one per family, however. Wednesday night prayer meeting, there's a change from what is in the bulletin. Uh, Derek will not be bringing a devotional message because of whatever it was that he did up here a little earlier. Um, no, he's, he's not, not scheduled. We have a missionary guest, Nadia Sori, with Every Nation Ministries, will be with us. So we can look forward to that. That's a ministry of college campuses even around here. If you look at the back of the bulletin, we have a student ministry corner which describes something that's going to be going on very shortly coming up at the end of this week, where a number of our students will be going to Peru to serve the Lord. You'll notice that there are some dollar signs in there. The up-to-date version of those dollar signs is that $10,000 remains to be received for the trip. So we encourage you to be praying about that, and as the Lord grants you to be able to give toward that as well. Our students are on a retreat this morning throughout the weekend. They'll be back tonight when we have a commissioning service for them. Uh, not a whole service, but we'll have a commissioning prayer. You can see the names of those who are involved. Please hang on to this as a prayer list. You also had an insert some time ago, and if you have that, then uh, this is more up-to-date than that. Also, we have a couple of homegoings to announce. Nancy Butler is home with the Lord now, and there'll be a service here on Friday at 1 o'clock, preceded by friends calling from noon until 1 p.m., in lieu of flowers, the family would appreciate gifts to the Alden Union Church Missionary Fund or to their neighborhood hospice. And if you need that address, you call the office and they'll be glad to give that to you during the week. And also this homegoing, Elmer Nelson. Um, many of you remember Elmer. Uh, he's home with the Lord. There'll be a graveside service for him also on Friday this next week. This will be in Middletown, Delaware at 1045 a.m., uh, and in lieu of flowers, gifts are appreciated by, uh, to the Stony Brook School where Elmer attended. So if you need information on how to get to any of those places or the addresses of the in lieu of flowers places, the office will be glad to provide you with those 
And many of you have been praying for Carol Eskridge. She did receive her liver transplant this past week. There were some complications afterwards. She's now recovering. She's got a couple of important steps even today when they take some of the tubes out and they get her up. But she's now conscious. She's awake and uh, doing very, very well. And thank you for your prayers. I know that she would like to thank each one for the prayers with regard to that. I'd like to ask you, if you will, please, to take a look at the uh, top of the order of worship. There's part of a verse from Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. It's telling us about how important relationships are. How important to God the way we relate to one another is. So even as we go to prayer right now, let's ask the Lord to help us during the course of this service and maybe even during the course of this prayer to bring a name to mind where perhaps we need to go and make things right. Life is too short to be in the middle of a feud with somebody. Life is too short to be at odds or to be angry with somebody. So let's encourage ourselves now in prayer as we ask the Lord to put somebody on our heart and mind and then do the right thing with regard to that person. So let's take a moment now in silent meditation and prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of intersecting with you and your word as we are this morning. And I pray that you would help us even as we see what the Lord Jesus had to say about relationships, that you would help us to be sure that each one of us keeps very short accounts with each other, that nothing simmers, that nothing is brewing, that we take care of those things that need to be taken care of as part of the badge that we as Christians have of loving one another as you've called us to. And love means forgiving, and love means being able to come up to someone and apologize and to ask for forgiveness. And love means that we don't let things keep on going. So help us, even as we interact with your scriptures, even as we worship you, to understand the full implications of what the Lord Jesus has to say, both when he said them originally and what he said that continues on now through your word as your Holy Spirit leads us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures have a great time right now in greeting one another. Maybe there's some folks you haven't seen since the last time we had a combined service.
Let's all stand. Let's sing together. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him. You may be seated, but please keep out your hymnals. And if you please turn with me to reading 632 in the back of our hymnals. 632. This is entitled Forgiveness. I'll read the light print, and if you would all respond by please reading the bold print together. Again, this is 632. I'll begin. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? 
If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him up to seven times? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. God of justice, Savior to all, came to rescue the weak and the poor, chose to serve and not be served. Jesus, you have called us, freely we've received now. Must go live to feed the hungry, stand beside the broken. We must go stepping forward, keep us from just singing, move us into action. We must go sing to act just. To act justly every day, loving mercy in every way, walking humbly before you, God. You have shown us what you require, freely we receive now. We must go, live to feed the hungry, stand beside the broken. We must go, standing forward, keep us from just singing, move us into action. We must go, we must go, we must go. live to feed the hungry. Stand beside the broken, we must go. Stepping forward, keep us from just singing, move us into action. We must go. 
fill us up and send us out. Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up, send us out, Lord. Fill us up, send us out. Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up, send us out, Lord. Sing that again. Fill us up. Fill us up, send us out. Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up, send us out, Lord. Sing that again. Fill us up. Fill us up, send us out. Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up, send us out, Lord. Sing, acting justly. Justly loving mercy, we must go, we must go to the broken and the hurting. We must go, we must go, we must go, live to feed the hungry. Stand beside the broken, we must go, stepping forward, keep us from just singing, move us into action, we must go, we must go. I invite us all to stand as we continue to worship the Lord.
seated. Good morning, everyone. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, 
We praise you for being the great God that you are, the one who loved us so much that you gave your son to die on the cross for our salvation. We thank you that he arose from the dead so we serve a living savior who is there for us in all things. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you in prayer, praising you, thanking you, and asking you for your provision in all situations. Lord, we be with those who are sick among us. Bring healing, bring peace. Be with those who are suffering from other situations, personal problems, lack of employment. Lord, just be close to them and let them know that you are there, you are in control of all things. Lord, we thank you for our pastors. You have given them to us to be the ones to guide us in learning and understanding your word. We thank you for that and all the other things they do for here, do for us here at Alden. Protect and strengthen each one. We would ask that you would be with Pastor Landusky and the group of leaders and students who are making the final preparations now for the missions trip to Peru, which takes place in less than a week. Lord, give them safety and travel, good health while there, and a time of rich blessing. Lord, be with the elders and trustees of our church. Give them the wisdom and knowledge needed to lead effectively. Be especially with the elder Chuck Boyer, who serves on the outreach committee. We thank you for his tireless work. Direct him in all that he does. Father, we would ask you to protect and guide all those serving in the various branches of the military. Be particularly with Sergeant Neil Kaufman serving in the Air Force. Currently, they need you to help in finding new placement for Neil and a job for his wife. Lord, provide for the financial needs they have. We also pray for our college students. Be with Kyle Morton, who attends James Madison University, and Angela Neath, who attends Millersville. Give them a good summer as they prepare to return to school in several weeks. We pray for all of our missionaries. Guide and protect them all. We, protect, we pray today particularly for Juan Pablo and Marianela Garcia, serving with Kids Alive International in Peru. Help them in their efforts to rescue children from all kinds of risk and abuse. And then through their Bible work, through their Bible teaching, to bring them to a saving knowledge of you. And we ask that they would main them then under this new life, would actually be able to complete their schooling, be attending church regularly, and bring their families to know you also. Finally, Lord, we again thank you for all your daily provisions for us. And Lord, we just ask you now to take these tithes and offerings and use them to further the teaching of your word here at Alden and around the world. Which in your precious name we pray, amen.
Thank you, Michael. Does everyone know what song that was? That was like a Michael W. Smith and Bach version. I liked it. Well, I know that as I, Pastor Kevin, do not often lead hymns. Um, <laughs> uh, I would invite us as the children are dismissed to turn in our hymnals to hymn number 404, and we're going to stand and we're going to sing together the solid rock. You may be seated. Okay, now I understand <laughs> what I did. I can't tell those two guys apart. Can you? Can you tell them? That? <laughs> now there's something to be said for Pavlov and the Pavlovian <laughs> continuances. Let's look to the Lord together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for that music that points toward you. Thank you that now we look at your word and we look inwardly. I pray that you would help us to be honest with each other because this isn't going to be easy for some of us, maybe not for any of us, because the Lord Jesus cuts to the heart and that's where we need to be cut. So I pray that you'd help us now. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to start out this morning 
Um, I just want to come down here for a little bit, and I'm not trying to be melodramatic, and some of you may find what I'm about to say a little bit disturbing. Please understand it'll come right out of our text. But I have reason to believe that among us this morning are some at-large murderers. Now, again, I told you this might be a little disturbing. As you look around, looking around in the row, it could even be somebody who's sitting right next to the person you're sitting next to and not on the other side of that person you're sitting next to. Reason why I'm doing this is because and I'm thankful to see we're represented by some police chiefs, police officers. That's a great thing. I don't want any of us to think because Jesus says you shouldn't murder, this isn't for me today. Because what the scripture is saying, that it is. So I do suspect, and I'm not judging anybody, I suspect that among us there could be some murderers, and there could be some murderers who are about to repent, some murderers who are about to do the right thing as a result of what we're going to see in the scriptures. But you'll see as we read the scripture right now, the Lord Jesus didn't pull any punches. He never does. And he doesn't with this. But please don't think this message is for somebody else. Because again, it could be to that person who's sitting right next to you, the person sitting next to the person sitting right next to you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Two verses of this morning. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll read verses 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Last week we saw that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's a reference to the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus didn't come, even though some people might have accused him of trying to get rid of them. That's not why he came. He told us instead he came to fulfill them or to fill them full, as we tried to bring out. Last week we looked at six ways Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. One of those ways was by giving certain additional laws or commands that furthered or strengthened the intentions of the original ones. There are six examples of that in the rest of Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the first of those six this morning. You look at verse 21 once again. According to the law, murder was wrong. Jesus didn't disagree with that. He didn't try to abolish that. He didn't try to nullify that. He didn't try to demolish that, as we saw in that word from last week. Jesus wasn't soft on murder. So what he's doing here, he's not trying to say, it used to be said not to murder, but I'm going to tell you that uh, you can do it. But uh, No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying that still stands, but I want to put some more teeth into that than you ever dreamed of. So Jesus enhancing, if you look at verse 22, he's going to be enhancing this. He's going to be strengthening this. He went further than the law because he went into the heart. It's easy to say, 
I've never killed anybody because I've never taken the life out of any, anyone. But what Jesus is saying, look further into your heart. Let's take a look at the spirit of this now, not just the letter of this. And so many people would say, I've never killed anybody. This isn't for me. This isn't for probably anybody who is here in this church. But Jesus says it is. Let's take a closer look at what he taught here. First of all, he says, you have heard in verse 21. So Jesus started out on common ground. You have heard that it was said to the people of long ago. The question that comes to mind is, how had they heard? That's an easy one to answer. They had heard, first of all, through the law. They heard through the law in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, and Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 17, both of which give for us the sixth commandment. Very simple, if you want to memorize the verse, this is a great one to memorize. It only has four words. You shall not murder. So how had they heard about this? They heard about it through the law. They heard about it through the Ten Commandments. They heard about it through the Sixth Commandment. Repeated in Exodus 20. Repeated again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But not only through the law, but also through what is referred to as the writings. It's even in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. It says there, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. And then the list haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and then this one, hands that shed innocent blood. That's a euphemism for murder. Hands that shed innocent blood. And then a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. The Lord says there that he hates all of those things And in the middle of it is hands that shed innocent blood. So how had the people heard about this, that they shouldn't be murdering anyone? From the law, from the writings, you could say then from the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. That's how they had heard. Well, what exactly had they heard? Do not murder, they heard. That's what it says. The Hebrew and the Greek words used in Exodus 20 and here in Matthew both specify the word murder. There are other words that could have been used if the authorial intent is to say you shouldn't kill. But it doesn't say you shouldn't kill. It says you shouldn't murder. There's the idea there of premeditation. There's the idea of murder as opposed to certain forms of killing that aren't involved here. So remember that it doesn't say you shall not kill. This verse cannot be used as an argument against capital punishment. It can't be used as an argument against self-defense or accidental killing or military action if warranted. And there are those who will say, well, the commandment says you shouldn't kill. But remember, again, it doesn't say that. It says you should not murder. But then, what else is being said here? Whoever murders will be subject to judgment. And what's the judgment according to the Old Testament Scriptures? On the screen is Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. And that's the issuing of capital punishment. That's again a euphemism when it says whoever sheds the blood of man. It's talking about murder there. Whoever murders, his life should be taken, should be forfeited. Exodus chapter 21, verse 12. Anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. 
That's pretty clear. Numbers chapter 35, verses 30 to 31. Let me read them for you. Anyone who kills a person is to be put to death as a murderer. And it says here, only on the testimony of witnesses. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. In other words, if we are going to have capital punishment, we want to be absolutely sure, as sure as we can be, that we're not killing an innocent person for a crime that was not committed by that person. So there need to be the proper witnesses for this. But then it goes on to say, do not accept the ransom for the life of a murderer who deserves to die. He must surely be put to death. Well, that's verse 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That was then. They could look back, those who are listening to the Sermon on the Mount, they could look back and they understand exactly where Jesus is coming from. But I tell you, in verse 22, but I tell you, what did Jesus tell them? He told them three things, three things that are very practical to us even today. He says, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to to judgment. Remember, we've just read whoever murders will be subject to judgment, and now we're saying anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Jesus is treating them as the same thing. Here's what one writer says. Jesus' hearers were aware of the prevalence and seriousness of this sin, the sin of murder. No doubt most of them were in full agreement with capital punishment for the crime and were convinced that they were innocent of that particular evil. But now Jesus attacks such self-confidence by charging that no one is truly innocent of murder because the first step in murder is anger. The anger that lies behind murder, anger which many people think is not really a sin, is one of the worst of sins. To one degree or another, it makes all men would-be murderers. Now you may be thinking, this is overstating the case. It's an exaggeration. People aren't walking around now with any kind of murderous thoughts or angry with somebody to the point that it's out of hand. That that really doesn't happen. Well, following the murder of 16 Afghanistan civilians by an American soldier back in March 2012, a man by the name of David Brooks wrote that terrible crimes such as this should not surprise us. He says, even people who contain reservoirs of compassion and neighborliness also possess a latent potential to commit murder. And he quotes David Buss of the University of Texas, who asked his students if they had ever thought seriously about killing someone. Now remember, he asked them if they've ever thought seriously about killing someone. And if so, to write out their homicidal fantasies in an essay. He was astonished to find that 91% of the men and 84% of the women had detailed, vivid, homicidal fantasies. He was even more astonished to learn how many steps some of his students had taken toward carrying them out. One woman invited an abusive ex-boyfriend to dinner with thoughts of stabbing him in the chest. A young man in a fit of road rage pulled a baseball bat out of his trunk and would have pummeled his opponent if he hadn't run away. Another young man planned the progression of his murder, crushing a former friend's fingers, puncturing his lungs, then killing him. 
All this played out in fantasy. All this going through the hearts and the minds of people. No, it's not far-fetched what Jesus is saying. Not far-fetched at all. Do you believe those numbers from college students at the University of Texas? I have no way of knowing if it runs that way everywhere, but I'm sure that it runs somewhere through there. There's something called Search Factory. It's an Australian-based marketing consulting company. They wanted to find out the search volume for some of Google's strangest search requests. In other words, they wanted to find out who is searching the Internet for certain things that they would consider to be in a strange class. So using a process they called exact match targeting, they were able to collect the worldwide average monthly search volume for some random search queries. Things like people searching the Internet, why did I get married? How to ask a girl out. No, this was how to ask a guy out. 14,000 monthly searches on that one, by the way. Guys, there's hope. There's <laughs> how to mend a broken heart. How to have an affair. And then these two, very disturbing. How to get away with murder. 1,900 monthly searches. How to get away with murder. How to hide a dead body. 1,000 monthly searches. Do you know what? There's an attitude that is ugly, that is permeating our society. And when it permeates society, unfortunately, it does get into the church. And so the first effects of Jesus' words here is to shatter the illusion of self-righteousness. Like most people throughout history, the scribes and the Pharisees thought that if there was any sin of which they were clearly not guilty, it was murder. Whatever else they may have done, at least they had never committed murder. But wait a minute. That's what Jesus is saying. Wait a minute. Before you say, cross that off my list, let's take a look at the other nine commandments. But that one, as far as I'm concerned, I only need nine commandments. The word anger that Jesus uses here, Greek word or gidzo, it has to do with brooding, simmering anger that is nurtured and not allowed to die. It's the person who over time is building up that anger. It happens when you hold a grudge. It happens when you bitterly fail to forgive someone. When you hold on to resentment. When you don't want to forgive. Or maybe you do want to forgive a little bit, but not enough to actually take any steps to do that. How's this for a headline? Man murders former classmate after holding 50-year grudge. True story, in June of 2012, Carl Erickson, a 73-year-old South Dakota man, was sentenced to life in prison after admitting to the murder of a former high school classmate. But after the murder, Erickson's secret finally came out. For over 50 years, he had simmered with a belated grudge. He was still mad about a high school locker room prank. Norman Johnson, the classmate and murder victim, was a star athlete on the track team. Erickson was a student sports manager. 
According to Erickson's confession, on one occasion, Johnson humiliated him and planted the seed of resentment that would continue to grow for over a half century. After holding the grudge for over 50 years, Carl Erickson rang Johnson's doorbell and shot him dead without a word. Fifty years. Did he become a murderer the day that he pulled the trigger? Or was he a murderer for 50 years because he allowed that to come? Jesus would say he was a murderer for 50 years. Whether he ever pulled the trigger or not, he had some issues that he needed to deal with that he didn't. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Great advice for us, all Scripture is. This says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And so the question is, is there a root of bitterness that's still growing in you and getting larger and larger? Do you ever see your sidewalk start to get bumpy and expand because there's a root of a tree that is under there and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. It says here, don't let anyone miss the grace of God. Don't have that bitter root growing up to cause trouble and defiling many. But picture yourself as a sidewalk permitting that root to come up and up and up until the inspectors come and tell you you've got to do something about that sidewalk. That's what God's saying now. You've got to do something about that. You're holding on to that bitterness. It may be against your spouse. It may be against a child or a parent. It could be against an employer. It could be against somebody who pulled a locker room prank and made you feel awfully humiliated back in school days. It could be any of a number of things. Let me ask you a few test questions, some of which are very easy, some of which may be a little more difficult. If you loaded a gun, pointed it at someone you hated, pulled the trigger and the gun did not fire, are you a murderer in God's eyes? What if you pull the trigger and miss? Easy. Same thing. Well, how about this? If you hated someone enough that you wished someone else would pull the trigger and kill him, are you a murderer in God's eyes? Okay, how about this? If you are angry at a person so much that you take great delight in hearing anything bad that happens to that person, are you a murderer in God's eyes? Yes, that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying we have to be very, very careful not to just go to the letter of the law. No, I've never pulled a trigger. I've never poisoned anybody. I've never tried to run anybody down with my car. Um, that's good. Jesus will not take anything away from that. That's good. Uh, don't murder. Don't, don't kill anybody in that way. But what's going on inside? Is there a root of bitterness that is growing up so that there's a person that you're very, very angry with, a person that you actually have grown to hate? Once again, I'm quoting a source. It is possible for a model, law-abiding citizen to be as guilty of murder as anyone on death row. It is possible for a person who has never been involved in so much as a fist fight to have more of a murderous spirit than a multiple killer. Many people in the deepest feelings of their hearts have anger and hatred to such a degree that their true desire is for the hated person to be dead. Now, please take note of this. The fact that fear, cowardice, or lack of opportunity does not permit them to take that person's life does not diminish their guilt before God. 
So according to Hebrews 12, 15, we've got to be very, very careful that this root of bitterness does not grow up in us and starts moving sidewalks because ultimately that's going to happen. It's going to internalize within us. It's going to damage us. It's going to damage our relationships. It's going to damage everything about us. And then one day it may explode. No guarantee, but one day it may. And so we also have to be careful of explosive anger. We've got to be very careful about emotions that get out of control. And if we deal with things in the early stages, if we keep short accounts with the people that have offended us or we've offended even, keep short accounts, then we don't have to worry about some of these other things. Let me share with you something that I found extremely sobering. The newspaper reported a tragic incident of violence that took place in a South American country. A peasant killed his best friend while they were arguing about political differences. A retired chief of the army, one of the country's finest intellectuals, had occasion to question the killer. Why did you do it, he asked. You fought about politics, but why did you kill him? In chilling words, the peasant answered, we began peacefully and we argued. I killed him when I ran out of words. I don't know about you, but I find that very disturbing. I killed him when I ran out of words. Are we reminded once again about Jesus' words that show us the close connection between anger and murder? Well, what is the judgment here? It talks about a judgment in verse 22. Anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Well, remember, subject to judgment ended verse 21. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So the question is, what is the judgment here? What does it really mean she'll be guilty of judgment? Well, I believe that it means divine judgment because anger is very tough for human courts to judge. I couldn't take somebody to court and say this person needs to be put in jail because this person is angry and this person potentially could explode someday. But guilty of judgment, I believe that the Lord is saying that this is his judgment that's in view here, divine judgment. But notice that the judgment is the same wording as the judgment for a murderer. And remember what John says in 1 John 3.15? Anyone who hates his brother is a, what would you guess? Murderer. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. That's not in the Sermon on the Mount. That's in John's letter a little bit later on in Scripture. Well, there's more that Jesus said. There were three things that he said here. The second thing that he said, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, what does Raka mean? Well, it's probably an Aramaic word, and it means empty or empty-headed. It's a frequent word for contempt. But we really don't have an exact equivalent of that word today. That's why the word raka appears in a number of the translations. It's transliterated from the Aramaic right into there called raka because we don't really have a word that translates. We probably need several sentences to try to translate exactly what it is. It's been described as a term of malicious abuse, a term of derision and slander, sometimes translated as brainless idiot, Worthless, silly, empty-headed, a blockhead. It's a word of arrogant contempt. Let me illustrate it. 
There's a Jewish legend tells of a young rabbi. They gave him a name, Simon ben Eleazar, who had just come from a session with a very famous teacher that he had. The young man felt especially proud about how he handled himself before the teacher. As he basked in his feelings of erudition, that means scholarliness if you didn't go to Darby Cohen, um, as he basked in his feelings of erudition, wisdom, and holiness, he passed a man who was especially unattractive. When the man greeted Simon, the rabbi responded, You raka, how ugly you are. Are all men of your town as ugly as you? That I do not know, the man answered. But go and tell the maker who created me how ugly is the creature he has made. Good point here. To slander a creature made in God's image is to slander God himself and is equivalent to murdering that person. Contempt, says Jesus, is murder of the heart. The contemptuous person is liable to the council. He's guilty before the Supreme Court. He's guilty before the Sanhedrin. Jesus refers to one of the three levels of courts that functioned in Israel at that time. The lower courts dealt with civil matters. The intermediate courts handled criminal cases. The highest court, the Sanhedrin, consisted of 70 men with the high priest who presided over them. That was the court that decided matters of war or imposing the death penalty, although at Jesus' time any death penalty had to be approved and imposed by the Roman court. But the point that Jesus is making here, this is very, very serious business. Don't make light of this at all. And then he goes on to say the third statement here. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, we use the word fool today in a lot of different ways, and most of the time probably not in this way. I would never encourage anybody to call anybody a fool, but I don't want anybody... I'm on vacation next week, so I don't want anybody calling the office and saying, I called somebody a fool once. Does that mean I'm going to hell? No, it doesn't mean that. Um, We'll see what it means here. This word fool has a specific sense. Uh, We we say, oh, that that fool, you you fool, we throw that word around. Probably not a good idea to do that, but nobody's going to lose their salvation if they call somebody fool, meaning somebody's foolish or somebody's silly or something along that line. But what does it mean here? When Jesus says, anyone who says, you fool... Well, that word fool is from a Greek word, more from moros, from which we get the word moron. It's translated in the ESV as fool, the New American Standard as fool, but in the Holman Christian, they translate it moron, a very literal translation there. New Living Translation says if you curse anyone, uh, they take it a little further in its extreme. But more expresses contempt for a person's heart and character. It's not just saying you're a little bit foolish or you're a little silly. It's saying that in your heart of hearts, you're somebody who is contemptuous. It was sometimes used in secular Greek, literally, of an obstinate, godless person. So it becomes a double whammy to someone. You're stupid and you're ungodly all at the same time. That's what, we, that, that's what the meaning is here. If we were to go back to Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, both verses are identical. Psalm 14, 1, Psalm 53, 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. And so Jesus is saying, if you're going to call somebody morally destitute, if you're going to say that somebody is both godless and an idiot at the same time, you are in effect committing murder on that person. Proverbs, incidentally, has an awful lot to say about a fool. And if we were to go back there, we would see more of this description. But again, if you remember two words, morally bankrupt, it's somebody who has nothing inside of spiritual value. Well, what's the penalty here? It says, in danger of the fire of hell. person who does that, who calls somebody that is in danger of the fire of hell. It's a Greek word here for the Hebrew word Gehinnom, or the valley of Hinnom. It's a word Gehenna, which referred to a deep, narrow glen to the south of Jerusalem. Interesting Old Testament history of what happened there. After the introduction of the worship of the fire gods by Ahaz, the idolatrous Jews sacrificed their children to Molech there in that valley. Talk about something that's an abomination to the Lord. Child sacrifice, but child sacrifice to an idol, to a false god, Moloch. Josiah, one of the kings of Judah, formally desecrated this area so that no one would ever make his son or daughter pass through the fire to Moloch. That's in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 10. After this, it became the common refuse place of the city in which the bodies of criminals, the carcasses of animals, and all sorts of filth were cast. From its depth and narrowness and its fire and ascending smoke, it became the symbol of the place of the future punishment of the wicked. It was a place where the fires never went out. As fire was the characteristic of the place, it was called literally the Gehenna of fire. Gehenna then is an apt description of the lake of fire in the book of Revelation. What Jesus is doing in vivid imagery, he's telling people he really means business with what he's saying here. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something to be trivialized. To be angry is the basic evil behind murder. To slander a person by speaking derisively and sharing contempt is wrong, Jesus said. To call someone a fool, morally and spiritually bankrupt, is worst of all. And so Jesus has before us, do not murder. Don't let looks or thoughts or words or actions kill. True righteousness, and remember that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, true righteousness, the real thing. X-rays the heart. What shows up? in your heart right now. Now, we're not going to get to the next verses, Lord willing, for maybe another month. But I want to leave us with verse 25, or excuse me, with verse 23, because it's a therefore. It's a therefore based on what we've just heard Jesus say. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Do you realize what Jesus is saying there? To reconcile a relationship is more important even than worship in this instance. 
because you're not going to be able to worship without reconciling with your brother. He says, if you remember somebody has something against you, maybe there's some of these things going on. Maybe there's some of that hatred that's going on. There's been an offense. He says, don't wait. Don't wait. You're about to take a gift to the altar. Don't even do that. Go and be reconciled. Then you can come back and you take your gift to the altar. Then you can come and worship. But this is priority. Relationships are very, very important and especially so in the body of Christ. And I'd like to encourage you, do not let tomorrow come if God has placed on your heart somebody that you need to reconcile with. Particularly in this context, somebody has an offense against you. You know somebody has something against you. You go to that person and try to make it right. The asking of forgiveness, making apologies, whatever is necessary, go to that person. Go to that person and communicate and investigate and say, I, I notice that things are not the same between us. Is something wrong? Have I done something? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you go in humility to that person, don't let tomorrow come without doing that. Jesus says it's top priority. We've got a situation here where Jesus is saying there are murderers loose among us. They don't need to stay that way. They can deal with that bitterness, that resentment, that anger, they can deal with those name callings, the slandering, and all of the other kind of things, but they've got to be dealt with. That's what he says. Therefore, there's a way around all of this. There's a way to make this right. Therefore, you go and reconcile and end all of this that is going on. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for how direct the words of the Lord Jesus have been for us today. But I pray that these words will lead to actions and that we will be able to go to someone if we need to in order to make things right. So we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you please take out your hymnals, and let's open up to hymn number 387. Let's all stand together. Let's sing, O to be like thee. To be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, Blessed Redeemer, pure as Thou art, come in Thy sweetness, come in Thy fullness, stamp Thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like Thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender and kind helping the helpless cheering the fainting seeking the wandering sinner to find oh to be like thee oh to be like thee blessed redeemer pure as thou art Come in thy sweetness.
come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee while I am pleading, pour out thy spirit, fill with thy love. Make me a temple, meet for thy dwelling, fit me for life and heaven above. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art, come in thy sweetness. Come on thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. I would like to invite all of you to come and join us this evening. I especially want us to be able to hear about the providence of God in the scripture tonight. If you're in a situation where maybe you're anxious, maybe you're wondering about something, you've got decisions that are going on, uh, I believe that you'll be blessed by seeing the scripture tonight, the providence of God, meaning that God is actively involved in all of our lives. The scripture says that the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. Um, if you can trust that, you don't have to worry about all these other things. So let me encourage you to come out tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for that which you've given us this morning. We ask that you will help us to leave here and to go into further instruction into your word into Bible school and then out into this world to be salt, light, and fragrance so that people will be able to see your people who love each other enough even to make things right, even when we don't feel like doing it, but because it's the right thing to do and we don't ever want to be estranged from a brother or sister. So we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.